All right, our text is Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And a sermon I've titled, Godly Fatherhood. Now, the fatherhood of God is one thing, but men being godly, a godly fatherhood is another thing. Godly, godly just simply means godlike. Doesn't mean that you're a god to be worshipped, but it's the idea of carrying on in the very ethics, the very principles, the very truth of God in the leadership of your family, your home. And so, uh, I thought that would be an appropriate, uh, appropriate uh, title for the message today. Here from Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I had a story I was going to tell you too, and the more I thought about it, I said, I better not tell that. They'll be thinking about that instead of the sermon as I go through it. Okay, so if you want to know what it is, ask me afterwards. I'll tell you. Okay, all right. Okay, Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Keep in mind, ungodly is without God. Without Christ in your life, without God in your life, then you're ungodly. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we look into your word today that the Spirit of God would make it understood to each heart. And Father, the homes, the country, the church, the local churches are in need of godly dads in each home. Father, I pray you'd work in such a way that that begins to happen in this country. In Jesus Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Verse 1 tells us what a blessed of God man does not do. Verse 2 tells us what a blessed of God man does do. When one gets to verse 3, though, he's telling us what God does for the man who fulfills verses 1 and 2. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that if, you know, if you want the blessings of God as a Christian, do what verses 1 and verse 2 tell you to do. And it's the way uh, on the road to victory, and it is the road of reward. As a matter of fact, I think of the day when Christians appear before God at the judgment seat of Christ, 
And we read of counting the loss, the loss of reward. What could have been. God had a plan. Because we're told in Ephesians chapter 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God's already got something for you to do individually. You realize, if you're saved here today, God has an individual will that He has for you to do. It's as important as I myself as a pastor doing the will of God in my life. Because I'm not, I'm not more important to God than anyone in this auditorium would be. Each person is fully loved by God and He has a will for them. So it's up to us to seek and do that will throughout all the days of our life. Now, I want you to see though today, I'm, I'm concerned more about verses 4 through 6 today. It's important because an ungodly father is the worst father a child can have. Now think about that. A father may seem good in the sight of his, the world and his own family, his children, and yet not be a good father at all. Although we'd say, that is a good dad. And by our standard, he probably is good. But our standard's not the standard. It's the standard of God's Word. For an example, having power with God in prayer. Now the question is, do you, it's not do you pray. That's not the question, do you pray? Can you pray? Do you know how to pray? That's not the question. The question is, is do you have power with God in prayer? If that child's life is on the line and they're in surgery and the doctor says, we'll do all we can, but only prayer will save that child. Do you have power with God? Now understand, God made me pastor of this church, but God also made you pastor of your home in that respect. When he has trusted children to you, the first thing you say, well, I'll just get everybody at church to pray for him or her, whatever the deal may be. And that's, that's all right, but understand as well, God gave you the responsibility. And you must have power with God. And so, the question is, is do we have power with God? Now, in verse 4, the ungodly are not so. Now, everything you just read in verse three, verses 1 through 3 says, an ungodly person, those things just aren't so. They end up doing those things that it speaks about. And he's the kind which the wind driveth away, like the chaff. You know, when they would harvest the wheat, you'd have the little dust of the chaff and they didn't worry too much about it because the wind would just blow that out, out of there. It wouldn't take much of a wind. And that's a poor testimony for a Christian to make decisions for Christ. And they're saved, they're like the wheat, but then doing nothing and the chaff just kind of blows it away. The wind blows the chaff away. 
that which is not doing those things that it should be doing for the Lord. So God is giving a contrast in verses 4 through 6 to the first three verses. Godly and ungodly is the contrast. God is not in their thoughts. Why? Well, the Word is not in their heart. It's not that on which they meditate. It's not that in which they think. It's not that on which they seek direction in their life. And so, as a father, we need to keep things in mind. If you're a dad here today, there's some things that are really important that you keep in your mind because it's for your children. It's for the Lord. Ultimately, it's for the Lord. But it's for raising your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Now, keep in mind the choices that you have made in life. An illustration of that would be this. You men, you propose to your wife for marriage. Okay, now that was uh, a choice. All those women you dated, there's one out of the two that you chose. Okay, <laughs> you only dated two women. All right. And you asked her to marry you, and she says yes. That's her choice. You both made a choice. Of course, she had about 10 guys to your two, but she made a choice. Now, hopefully, when you were dating, you read the Bible together. You prayed together. You know, when you read the Bible and discuss it together, you end up sharing your heart. Young people, if there was anything I could tell you, you're dating a girl, say, hey, let's read the Bible and pray together. And if they don't like that, they're against that, they don't want anything to do with it, don't look at it as a rejection of you, it's a rejection of God. That's not somebody you'd want for a wife or to be a mother of your children. That's not somebody that'll be there that'll stick with you through thick and thin. That's not the kind of woman that you should have and that someday maybe marry in, in that dating period, that dating time. That should be in God's Word. You should have had devotions with her. But if you're here now, maybe you got saved after you were married. You made a choice, nonetheless, to get married. You made a choice to receive Christ when the gospel was presented to you. But in each case, you gave your word. For an example, in marriage, you said to love, to honor, and cherish. Till death do you part. Even if it's worse instead of better. Even if it's poor instead of richer. Even if it's sickness instead of health. You promised. I'll keep myself only to you so long as we both shall live. You see, the point here is that it is a trust. You gave your word. If your word is no good, then an improvement on your person would be scum. In other words, if you're going to improve You'd have to get up to the area of scum before you could improve on that. 
Why, you say? Because your word should be one of the most important things that you have to give, if not the most important thing you have to give. Each partner gave their word, and each have entrusted to the other their person, their love, their commitment to enter to that partnership. Now, in the contrast to that, a baby is entrusted to you by God. You don't, uh, you don't get to choose, is it going to be a male or female? <laughs> don't even think about choosing transgender or some of these other things they have. It's dumb. Okay, so it's either going to be a male or female. Uh, one day, maybe, science will catch up with the truth and realize it's either a male or a female. Now, they, they've got a long way to go, evidently, because some of those guys are saying that have about four and five letters after their name, and they don't have enough intelligence to know that there is a difference. But, whichever, they were entrusted to you to raise the child in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. Hey, you see that in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 of the Old Testament, boy, if you read that, you go teach them the law from the moment they get up in the morning to the time you go to bed. While you're walking by the way, while you're sitting in your chair, while you're doing whatever, you, you, you're keeping that before your children. Well, how can you keep it before your children if you don't know it? You know, they had a written law back then that they'd go back, and even in the New Testament era of, of the church, the early church, it was first few hundred years, they usually had to go to church to hear the Word uh, read. They didn't have copies. They kept the copies at the churches. They'd go by there to hear it read or to read them. A lot of them couldn't read, so they had to listen. That's why in Timothy we read, give attendance to reading. But it's the Word of God that tells you how to uh, love your children, how to raise your children, and how to be a good father. Now, your child, your children, are from God. He has entrusted them to you. And because He has, and you're to raise them in the fear and admission of the Lord, you have a great accountability before God for the way in which that child is raised. God wouldn't command it if He wasn't going to call us into accountability for it. So, He has given a call and an accounting. A right husband or right wife will seek to know the Lord and to know His Word and teach it in the home. And as a father, you're the head of the home. The children need a godly father and mother. God wants them to be godly. Now, I understand. Some children were not born in the home. They're, they were adopted. And so, you might be a boy or you might be a girl that was chosen. That, that's special. They chose you. But nonetheless, 
Just like Mary was chosen to carry the baby Jesus, when a lady is blessed with a child from your seed, then that is a gift from God and a personal responsibility that each of us have in our homes. You know, we heard, have heard in the news uh, in the past couple years and even this year about the Abraham Accords. You know, you say the Abraham Accords. Yeah, you know how they got, we're setting up all these peace things under President Trump. And now they're talking about, well, do we really want to keep those accords, you know, and things of that nature. But there was an Abraham Accord or trust that was made in the book of Genesis in chapter 18, verses uh, 17 to 19. And it is more important than the Abraham Accords that are being made today. There we read this, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now that's, that, that, that's special. Very special, as a matter of fact. That's why it's very important when you read in, in Psalms as well as in the book of Genesis and Exodus, especially Genesis, but when you start reading there, that those that bless his seed will be blessed. That is Israel's. It's passed down from one to the next to the next, and then it becomes Israel. Jacob being the final one, and his name is changed to Israel. But God says in all three cases, He will bless those that bless thee, and He will curse those that curse thee. You know, I don't want to be cursed by anybody, but especially I don't want to be cursed by God. You think about that. So, he is trusting Abraham with the truth here that he's really thinking this is going to be hard because this is his, his nephew. He's pretty well raised him. It's Lot. And he's telling him, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, it's likely Lot's going to lose some of his family, and he does. And, and Abraham tries to intercede that God wouldn't destroy if they had at least 10 righteous men when he finally got down to the end from starting with 50. If he got at least 10, well, Lot did not become a witness, did not become a godly father, did not become a godly man. Even his own, a lot of his own children died because of it. There may have been enough in his own family to have saved it for 10 godly people, but they didn't get saved. So Lot and his wife and a couple daughters are saved, and the Lot's wife turns back, and so she's not saved. She got out, but then she turns into a pillar of salt. So understand, only Lot and two daughters got out. And in immorality, they end up with two children. Those two daughters each had a child. One is Moab, and the other one is Amnon. And those became cursed races for the way they were brought to this world. So do you see, God has trusted Abraham. 
He has trust in Abraham. We can see it in this verse of the trust that God has for Abraham. And all nations being blessed through him. As a result, doing that for which he was entrusted, God says this, For I know him, that is, he knows Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep, okay, they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken to him. Now, what a special blessing that is. Now, we know that many of Abraham's children went the wrong direction. They had to rebel to go in a wrong direction. You see, it's not that Abraham failed in teaching his household. God says he did it. God says, I know he'll do it, and he'll do it. So, since God knows that, what happened to a lot of those? They made a choice. They rebelled against Abraham. Basically, they rebelled against God because they didn't like it. But, these thousands of years later, each one of those that are in hell wish they would have listened. They wish they would have listened. Being a godly father and a godly mother, for that matter, at least gives your children a chance. It gives your children a chance. It will never depart from your children if you teach it to them, you ingrain it in them. It won't depart. In other words, it will always be there to be a prick on their thought and conscience. This is not right. Oh, I wish that God would let me alone on this. That's the thought. They had the conviction. So now you see, he is commanding his children and his household after him and in the ways of the Lord. Now first, he is instructing them in God's way. God's will, God's way, always according to God's Word, is the way you're to live your life, to order your life. What He gave us. When you and I got saved as New Testament Christians now, God gave His Holy Spirit to each person that's saved. If you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean how much of the Holy Spirit. You've got all the Holy Spirit. The question comes is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? See, being filled with the Holy Spirit is giving Him control over everything. And everything the Spirit of God will lead you to do will always, always, always agree with the Word of God. Always. When you see a godly daddy laying in a casket, it's a wonderful thing for his children to have peace that he's in heaven. And if those children are saved, they're not saying goodbye to dad. They're saying, hey, dad, I'll see you later. But that starts, that starts when you as a father are a godly father. 
His Holy Spirit will guide in the Word of God if we'll be in the Word of God. He also instructs them in this passage of Genesis to do justice and then to judge between right and wrong. You're doing justice, you're judging between right and wrong, be it moral, be it ethical, or spiritual. It's all in His Word, and you can determine what, whichever it is, just by the Word of God. And this person will do judgment, in that he will deal with it in righteousness. Whatever God says is the way you handle it. It's not an attitude of compromise and worldliness. Never compromise with the world anything of the principles of the Word of God. Well, that's the only way you're going to win them. Uh, what you're winning them to. It's not a holy God. You see, the salvation He teaches us, teaches deny worldliness and, uh, and ungodliness and worldly lust but to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, if your salvation is not teaching you that, you better examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. And I say that, not to be mean, I say that, I want you to have a godly home. I want your children going to heaven. I want a husband and wife going to heaven. I, I just want to see families right with God. Be a godly dad. And so, as we look here, he's a man of faith. A man of faith is so because he does God's will, God's way. Now, he can, he can go other directions. But if you go other directions, you're walking away from the power and the help of God. But understand, God made these promises to Abraham. This man of faith now knows that his progeny will have these promises of being blessed because he Abraham was a man of faith. Will my children, will your children be blessed because we are men of faith? Now, does that mean we never messed up? <laughs> Look at Abraham. Remember with Hagar? And they still have problems today because of that. Because it's supposed to just be Abraham and Sarah. So, yeah, you can mess up. But you don't have to stay a mess. Okay? You don't have to stay a mess. You can mess up, but you don't have to stay a mess. Get up again. A righteous man falling seven times gets up again. So just don't learn to get back up. Now, in verse 2, in verse, verse 1 and 2, we see a couple things there. In verse 1, that, that blessed of God man is not going to walk in the counsel, that is, the advice of ungodly people. Well, they're so smart. Well, the Bible's a lot smarter. They're not going to stand in the way of sinners. That is, oh, man, everybody's doing it, so we're going to go with them. Nor are they going to sit and see the scornful. Oh, did you hear what he said this morning? 
Oh, did, did you see that? Oh, that's a, and, and it's always finding something to bring down, to scorn, that's trying to be attempted for the Lord in God's house. They're scorners. Don't sit in that seat. And yet, they're those kind of people that are out there. And these are definitely, even if they're saved, not godly people. And so, as a result, they are not walking in God's will, doing it God's way and in God's time. So, when you look at it from that vantage point, we see that a godly person, what does he do? He delights in the law of the Lord. That is, he's in the Bible. He's in it. He meditates on it. He thinks on it. It's a part of his life. You see, Abraham taught his house <clears throat> dad's need to lead in the Bible their family. Now, dads, you've got to have more of the Bible. Some are satisfied. Well, you know, I, I read a devotional booklet today. And it's a good booklet. Well, praise God. But men, can't you get up 30 minutes earlier than you normally have to get up to spend some time in the Word of God? And ask God to show you what it means, to show you how to apply it to your life and how to teach it to your children. How to share it with your spouse. You see, a godly man knows his Lord if you want to know the mind of the Lord, get in the Bible. I listened to a preacher at the Soul of the Lord a few years ago at <clears throat> the conference. He said, turn in your Bible, and he gave the passage, and let's see what the Lord's thinking today. Oh, what's the Lord thinking here? And you know what? Any time that you open the Bible, you're seeing the thoughts of God. You want to know how God's think? Get to know His Word. And you get to know Him so much more personally. So a godly man, he must be a man of the Word of God that thinks on it and allows it to be a part of his life. Uh, so many others, you see, they, they almost seem to be, they're, they're, they claim to be saved, but they seem to be ashamed of the Lord. They walked forward one day and they got saved and they got baptized. Some don't even get baptized. Although that's the very first command after salvation is to get baptized because you're identifying with Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism pictures. That's why we don't sprinkle here. We do what the Word means to immerse because it shows the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So, you've been saved but not baptized? Why are you rebelling against it? Sometimes God speaks to your heart during a sermon. No matter who's preaching it, God speaks to your heart if they're preaching the Word through a sermon. I can take care of that back here. Oh, there's no problem with that. Yeah, I can take care of it right here. 
No, you're trying to get rid of the Holy Spirit or get them off your back for that moment. But <clears throat> it's a shame if your children won't see you walking out, they won't see you pray at an altar. Why do you think that they would? Why do you think they would? See, don't be ashamed of Jesus in a public way. Only not being ashamed of Him in the home doesn't cut it all the way. They need to see that Dad walks with Jesus Christ. That's what they need to see. So meditate in His Word day and night. So the question is, which father am I? It's a question each of us needs to ask ourselves. What kind of a father am I? But on the other hand, we think of, will my son, will my daughter observe my life and be moral, have a work ethic, be honest, and also be righteous, be kind by following my example. Now, they may not. You may have that example and they don't follow it. That's a choice. But at least give them a choice. That's what God gives you to do with those kids. So, are you ashamed or aren't you? It's a question to ask. Verses 4 and 5 are so more, much more descriptive of the ungodly. He says, the ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. If they're unsaved, that means they're in hell. If they're saved, that means loss of rewards. Just kind of like the children of Israel. Remember children of Israel going into uh, to the promised land? They were saved from Egypt. Egypt is, is a picture of the world is a picture of sin. They were saved from Egypt. They were saved from the bondage of the world. But in the wilderness, things happened. And a great multitude of them died and were buried in the wilderness. Their children entered into the promised land Seeing what happened to their parents, those children went in and they stayed right until all those that had overlived Joshua died and then they started going the way of the world too. But until then, they stayed right. But all of those that didn't enter the promised land lost the reward of the land of milk and honey. Saved from bondage, but not to enter into the rewards. Some people will be saved so as by fire, ashamed at his appearing, a loss of reward. Now, don't let one of the things that causes a loss of reward to be the failure as a parent. So the first thing is to be sure of is that you're saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to earn salvation. God loves you, 
He died on the cross for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. He paid for every sin in total. However, that's not applied to your account until you receive Him. Now understand this. Like in marriage, you give the promise. You break that promise, then there's problems. You made your promise to God, but then have loss of reward. That's not a good thing. Jesus died for your sin, but then, like in marriage, He makes His vows, and then she's got to make hers. He says, I do, then she has to say, I do. If she doesn't say, I do, all the promises, all the whatever would have gone with that man are gone. God did everything for us in sending His Son to die for our sins and pay our penalty on the cross. You, you don't receive Him as the head, as the Lord, as the Savior, as the God. You lose all the promises that you could have had. God wants you to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's Word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants you to be saved. Acts chapter 17, 30, God commandeth all men, not just some, not most, not a certain group, He commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world. Now, have you come to Jesus admitting that you're a sinner? You cannot save yourself by God's Word, which is the standard, not your standard. It's God's standard. By God's Word, you're a sinner, and you deserve to go to hell, for the wages of sin is death. Final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. And yet, if you'll come to Him, He will save you. But you must come to Him. So, what I would say in closing here, dads, give your children a godly dad. Let it start this morning. And for that matter, moms, give your children a godly mother. Dads, give your wife a godly husband. Moms, give your husband a godly wife, and let your children see that mom and dad love one another. But children, the greatest gift that you can give to dad on Father's Day is to give your dad a godly son or a godly daughter. All for Jesus, I surrender. Let's bow our heads, please.